Welcome to another episode of Mental Conversations, a podcast focusing on positive mental health and overcoming the struggles of life. My name's Chris Sutton and I'm excited <laughs> because today uh, I'm joined by Chester Howarth. Uh, Chester is studying politics and economics at Nottingham University, so we're going to talk about pretty much nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming in, Chester. No worries. It's lovely to be here. Um, so... We, uh, we've we met through work, I never really talk about the job, but we've had conversations around some stuff to do with mental health and positive mental health, and we did a meditation together, actually. We did we? indeed, it was just us. <laughs> <laughs> we were supposed to do a group meditation, and only me and you turned up, um, but but never mind, it was still good, it was good fun. And one of the things we talked about, um, I, I was telling you about the podcast, and you were interested in... Um, in that and you listen to a, a couple of episodes and um, and I said you know you should come on because you've got experience and you know I'm really grateful that you have and then you blew my mind a bit because I said what do you want to talk about and you thought about it and then you came back to me and this is what you put and I've put in my words we'll have a crack at it <laughs> you said the narrative around mental health and how it seems to be focused on the individual and making it personal um, as so like a pathological problem yeah so what do you mean by that? As in, like, the burden of mental health, to me, seems to be very much centred around the individual. Yeah. Rather than being centred around the structures within, mm -hmm. the, within which the individual lives and your experience. Yeah, okay. So tell me a little bit more about that. So if you're... Um, so how, how is it centred around the individual? As in this kind of biomedical model of mental health, it's all very much situated around the brain and chemicals and this idea of depression, for example, being an imbalance in the chemicals in the brain. Yeah. Um, so it very much places kind of responsibility on the individual. Yeah. Um, and kind of forgets about the, the environment in which that individual lives. Yeah. So, to give a really crude example, um, the, the definition of depression in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual does not take into account, for example, even bereavement. So, okay. two weeks of, of really low mood, regardless of your circumstances, would be considered, along with a couple of other things, but that would still be considered depression. Right. And to me, it just seems ludicrous that mm. you would classify someone as having um, an illness yeah. when these things are actually just very natural reactions to our environment. Something that's happening in, yeah. in, your, in your circumstance. It, I mean, I, I find that, I find this, this whole subject fascinating because um, some of the work that I've been involved in in the past, for example, is around um, children with social, emotional and mental health needs. And um, there are two, and I, I mean, I'm going to butcher this the way I'm going to describe it probably, <laughs> but I'm not an expert and it's just my understanding, so I apologise if I upset anyone. But there was some work being done around like how, or looking at the NHS approach to it, and then, at, you know, and I love the NHS, and I'm not bashing the NHS whatsoever, but it is that kind of we'll, you know, maybe we need to um, give some medication here, or have this, you know, a therapy um, 
around this child or you know and essentially adults as well but like you say it's not taking into account the circumstance necessarily of the home environment they're going to and that's the s yeah social emotional mental health yeah you know and the nhs would um historically have had like um an emh an emotional and mental health strategy and then you know they're not taking that social side into account as much and actually it is it's an enormous problem it's an enormous issue it's an enormous challenge but you know giving medication as the kind of number one stop isn't necessarily you know the the best thing to do absolutely not because all that does is kind of and mo- i mean most of the time it's not it's not even effective at doing so but all that would do is kind of wash over brush over everything that is the underlying causes yeah. of why someone feels a certain way and actually just covers it up with medication so with so um so with that so i've been down that route you know i've been my own personal journey very much i was talking to someone about this really recently in that just i'll just say it very quickly so i um struggled with was struggling with really bad anxiety and then was feeling you know what i thought was depression and i really built myself up to go to the gp i was really scared and i was like i'm about to bear my soul to this person you know and they were lovely don't get me wrong they were lovely but and i'm probably uh, exaggerating this slightly but looking back at it there was a bit like yeah this is great but you're off, you've got a 10 minute time slot yeah. <laughs> you know and I built it up to how am I even going to say this I've got to I've got to bear my soul to this person and say I'm struggling and it was a really hard thing to say and like I say the doctor was great but they went straight to medication for me they went straight to that's the first part of call yeah it was there was nothing to do with well what's your environment what's your upbringing what's happening you know what's happened what, where are you uh, and and so there, there was no kind of trying to unpick any of that or to ask me to look into how I might change some of those things. And, like, I think that I've seen or heard scientifically scientific studies that say, like, exercise can be more beneficial than taking medication. So it's... But you don't get um, prescribed you need to go for a 15-minute run every day or walk. Yeah. Or, you know, that doesn't happen. Yeah. So... It, it, it's an in, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing, but how how do we how do we do something about it? What can we do about it? Well, that is a very very good question, and yeah. a question that I don't really have the the answer to. But what popped into my head when you were saying that then about medication being a first part of call and not having things that you can do yourself to change the way that you live your everyday life, such as exercise, such as meditation, and things like that. Those things are not, they, they don't get prescribed in such a prescriptive way, mm. um, naturally, as, as medication does. And I think part of that is to do with the influence of, of Big Pharma and the way that there's, there's an, there's an organisation called No Free Lunch, mm-hmm. um, and they are kind of, they're campaigning against the kind of lobbying of doctors. Um, so you'll get big pharmaceutical organisations coming along and taking, taking doctors out for fancy dinners, right. all that kind of stuff. This kind of very insidious way to get doctors to kind of adhere to, to what big pharma want. 
Yeah. And what Big Pharma want is for their medication to be to be prescribed for a, for a long time and to a lot of patients. And the and the reason behind that is for financial gain. Yeah. So they're exploiting people's people's mental state. Yeah. To to make financial. And that just in itself is is disgusting, isn't it? It's horrible. Yeah. It it's just so. Oh, it, so. I mean, I I think in terms of the way that, um, I mean, I, I hesitate to use this word, but there's a certain amount of like an awakening in terms of maybe on an individual basis, of or a realization, let's say, uh, when. When you when you start to understand how much power you do have, if you try and look at things in a different way, um, so I remember when I first, for example, uh, took it when I first started taking medication, the the GP had said, you know, it will it won't take effect for you know two three weeks. I think it was. It was quite you know it felt like it was going it was quite a long time, but I felt like. It never worked. Mm. I, but then I, what I realised after after I'd been on medication for a couple of years, and I'd been on, I had to change medications because of side effects. So I had really, you know, some quite nasty side effects. Um, and then when I eventually came off medication, I decided I didn't want to be on it anymore. I realised it had had an effect. Now, but the effect that it had had was like a dampening down of everything. Yeah. And if I when I then thought about it, I was like, actually I think the doctor said that that was the outcome we were trying to achieve was less peaks and troughs and more stability. Yeah. But so I but but my expectation was that I would be skipping along the street yeah. happy. They'd be happy all the time. <laughs> and I was like they are happy pills and they're not. They would kind of dumbed down pills yeah and that for me was like okay well if that helped to stop me taking my own life then I suppose actually it worked didn't it I mean yeah <laughs> you know, like... but it, it certainly takes the color out of life yeah and, and that's a really good way of putting it because yeah. to get this balance you've not only got to stop the dips but you've got to stop the good bit. Well, yeah. yeah, in a way you've got to stop the good bits as well. Well, I, let me tell you this, this. Right, really quickly. When I came off medication, um, so I'm living on my own in a house, and uh, I have my children some of the time. I'm living on my own in a house, and I found myself um, lying on my kitchen floor, crying my eyes out. Okay? Very sad scene. <laughs> it was a very sad scene. But, like, um, and I didn't really know why. I was like, you know, I mean, I had a lot of stuff going on in my life, but I was like, I was so, I was like inconsolable. If that, if can you, can you be inconsolable I if think, there's no I one there to console be. you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I literally, physically was inconsolable because I was on my own. But a couple of days or weeks or whatever it was later, it can't have been very long later, I was watching Gogglebox. Now, I bloody love Gogglebox, okay? Can't help it. It just, <laughs> it tickles my funny bone. We're like, that's where my funny bone is placed. And I found myself crying with laughter. I mean, I was hysterically laughing at something that had happened. And I was like, and I remember thinking the next day, like, wow, I haven't done this for 
ages, yeah. like years, probably years. Like I haven't had a down like that or an up like this, you know. And then that's when I started realizing, oh, okay, the medication did do something to me actually. Um, so I'm not saying at all medication's bad. You know, I think it, it has. I do think it has its place. Um, I do have a slight problem with how quickly. Yeah, I mean the evidence does suggest that from mild to moderate depression, antidepressants are, are not going to have an effect. For severe depression, they definitely they definitely have their place. Okay, yeah. But again, this is one of those things that mental health is so subjective and it's such an individual experience. Yeah. And the the kind of diagnostic criteria are very much observational in that a doctor. You tell a doctor how you're feeling, yeah. And okay, they have scales and things like that. But I, I, I imagine that two people who are having very different experiences could get very similar results. Yeah, I, I, the, the the scales are interesting actually because they they've got something for, around anxiety called. Uh, um, I was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder. I was like, I remember thinking, and I'm not belittling it at all, but I was like, yes, I've got a disorder. I felt like I got a label on my... That's a really why, big part of it. Why I felt, I was, I was like, oh, right, okay, I'm not normal, thank goodness. Thank goodness it's been <laughs> confirmed that this isn't the norm, you know, because if this is the norm, how I'm feeling, that's not right. People shouldn't be feeling like this. So I was quite relieved. So general anxiety disorder, GAD, um, and they've got this GAD 9, I think it's called, table, um, questionnaire thing that you fill in and it is um over the last two weeks how often have you felt and then all these different things. things yeah and you scored three if it was over like really often two if it was like twice in a fortnight or i'm getting it slightly wrong but uh, or like zero one or zero like depending on how often yeah um and as a gad seven it was a GAD 7, I've just done the maths. Because I, I scored 21 every time, out of 21. And I remember every time saying, you don't need to ask me any questions, it's 21. You're asking me the wrong question. It's not how often for me, it's how severe, yeah. how strong a feeling. If, if you're going to say, how often have I felt anxiety around, it's every day. Yeah. So, by that, if they were using that to define whether they were going to give me medication... I'm going to be given the medication, mm -hmm. but I'd be given the medication after three years treatment, the same as I'd be given the medication before yeah. I started any. Yeah. So by that rationale, it doesn't work, does it? As a a way of deciding who what you know who you give uh, this this medicine to. Yeah. And it's really interesting that you said about kind of having giving someone a label and giving you a label. It. In a way, it is something that when you're feeling a particular way, you kind of almost crave it because you you want some sort of external recognition of how you're feeling inside. Mm. And to put you in a category with other people who are feeling a similar way gives you a sense of almost a kind of indirect shared experience with other people who are going through the same thing. Yeah. And, it, and it gives you a label that you can say, right, I kind of know how to deal with this now. But in yeah. fact... It, it doesn't really, because it just gives you a kind of pathology and says there's actually something wrong with you mm. and that that's not normal and that's something you picked up on there, as in, I'm not normal. But 
It's an absurd concept. Normality it is. is an absolutely absurd concept. The other thing on top of that is that um, I'm sure I've said this on the show before, but um, I don't think this is just people with with depression or anxiety. You know, people like me. I'm saying with air quotes. <laughs> I mean, hate air quotes, but I've done it now. Um, it, is that you? There is a sense of liking the fact that there's a definition and there's there's a, there's a diagnosis. Yeah. But then, I hated the fact that other people were the same. That oh, I was right, like, okay. no, it's just it's me. It's me that struggles with this. This is my illness. <laughs> like you know, so I was like, you invented a, yeah, generalized like, no, anxiety disorder. No one feels as bad as I do. You know, and I don't. And I think I've he- I've heard other people say that since. Um, so that's an interesting concept as well in how to deal with it. But I think I think so much of it comes down to um, it's interesting this because we might get into a bit of a debate about this. But because I do think that all of those societal pressures and all of the um, the environmental pressures that are put on you around where you live and where you work and what friends you have and you know what job you have, so how much money you've got and um, and what belief systems your um, family kind of um, Im- the influence they've had on how yeah. you behave around things um, all of those you can't get away from but there is something to be said about the fact that you're in control of your or you have a level of control over your consciousness yeah. and over your um not necessarily over your thoughts because you don't always have that control over the, over your thoughts. You don't decide. Oh, I'm gonna. If yeah. I decide, if I chose to think some of the thoughts I have, I'd be like, "What the <laughs> hell is wrong with me?" You know. So I haven't chosen this. They, they come into your head, but you have a choice as to which ones you engage with. Absolutely, yeah. So there is a real strength in that. It's a very difficult thing to do. And I'm at the very, very beginning of this kind of experience. Yeah. I'm trying to avoid the word journey. Um, uh, of understanding that Mm -hmm. that it's me that's in you know if I'm worried about something well no one else necessarily even knows that no one else necessarily is worried about it so only I am choosing when I'm sat on my sofa at home to worry about the thing at work the next day I'm not there yet you know I can but I do have the ability and the power to go I'm just going to park that yeah you can choose what you engage with yeah and a couple of years ago I would have said that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Mm. Because the way that I was experiencing my own thoughts was that I was not in control of them. Yeah. And I thought there was something wrong with me because of the thoughts I was having mm. and didn't realise that actually that's the bit you don't really have any control over. No. The bit that you have the control over is what you then choose to engage with. Yeah. And meditation is a really important part of that because it gives you, it gets you to to step back mm-hmm. and to see the thoughts as they flow through when I, I know what you're saying I think that um, meditation is a really interesting isn't it interesting how I put my hands together look at that <laughs> I know people can't see me but I've literally put my hands in prayer position um, complete that's bizarre um, namaste um, but no uh, Meditation can be very, very powerful. Meditation is something that you hear people talk about. But I and we, I did a podcast with uh, the wonderful Jane Kay, um, who um, 
is, is really big into meditation uh, a few weeks ago. But, and I meditate every day, and I meditate while I'm doing yoga. That is my kind of moving meditation, if you like. Um, and, but there are so many people who just go, that's not for me, I can't do it. Yeah. And when you talk then about, um, you know, watching your thoughts go by, I remember when I was off work with depression, going to a mindfulness course, um, six-week course, and listening to the uh, teacher talk, saying similar, to, similar words to what you've just said, and thinking, what are you talking yeah. about? And like now, how can that be possible? Now I understand it. I'm not saying I'm like, um, I was going to say I'm not saying I'm good at it, but then I do, I always say, you're not good, no one's good or bad yeah. at meditation. You, it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. But, you know, you can't, it's very difficult not to attach a, I want to be able to do it like that. So yes, not the levitating on top of a mountain, <laughs> floating on a cloud. I mean, that's what I do, Chris. Yeah, exactly. I've seen you do it. I was like, you know, you're in the kitchen. I'm trying to make a coffee. <laughs> Chester's there levitating in the corner by the fridge. But like, you know, people have that idea to start with, I think. And then you kind of go, okay, well, that's not it. That's not what, yeah. I live in a Western society. I'm not on a, I'm not living in a monastery and just with my thoughts all day, every day and living in silence in a in a place where that focus is on a kind of trying to get to a higher state of being or yeah. so so you know that's not where so we're not trying to get to that point but where I am trying to get to and I that I can kind of define I think is I'm trying to get to a calmer state yeah and I'm trying to get to a state where I'm calmer during the meditation see I'm not saying where I'm calm I'm saying where I'm calmer, calmer. I'm just, <laughs> so there's a, it's a scale you know it, sometimes it might go whoa that was amazing other times it's just a little bit but then it's so it's the feeling during but then it's afterwards when I walk out of that room or when I stand up or when I finish doing the yoga I, I, I do sometimes and it's not not really often but I do sometimes feel a kind of huh, okay a sigh of relief I can I can now now I need to go and get on with the stuff which is yeah. a shame but but I do remember thinking what are people talking about? Watch your thoughts. Don't engage with your thoughts. So I think that there is a very high percentage of people that do think that they are their thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when I first had counselling and we were having these kind of discussions and he told me to think about it like, like a telephone. So the telephone rings and you choose whether to answer it or not. Now, at the time, I just thought, this is an absurd idea. Mm. You're not, I, I, to me, I thought, you're not getting it. You're yeah. not getting that I can't control these thoughts. But actually, it was me that wasn't getting it. Mm. And now, with perspective and having gone through this kind of experience, I can now look back and think, oh, actually, yeah, it was more a perspective thing. Mm -hmm. And being able to see things in context and... To not be consumed by, yeah, by the thoughts that you're having. So, and has that made you feel better then? Yeah, definitely. Okay. And I, I always say to people now, and maybe I'm grossly oversimplifying it, but I always say to people that to me, depression is about perspective, and maybe, and for a lot of people, that will grossly oversimplify the experience of depression. Mm. 
but for me, yeah, I, that I, is the I, way I've come to see it. Yeah, I, I, I take that point, definitely. I mean, I, I think one of the interesting things, bringing it back slightly to the, um, you know, the prescribing and mm-hmm. the, is I think from what you've just said there, and I, I said just before we came on uh, on air, again, if you're on air when it's not live, um, <laughs> like before I press play, um, I don't know your story, so and I like it's good that because we, you know, there's no need for to know all this stuff about each other in advance of having this conversation. But you've just said there that your conversations with a counsellor were quite helpful to you. Um, yeah. My experience in terms of the, you know, one of the things that kind of really jolted me into um, changing my perspective and my outlook was definitely with the psychotherapist that I went to see. Um, so for me, the the GP thing of, and, there, and therefore I suppose within our, in a British society or English society, of present a GP surgery with these symptoms, we will um, prescribe you with um, sertraline, and we will, you know, you'll start on 25 or 50 milligrams and then you can go up to 200, but you pretty much, or for me anyway, self-medicated in terms of how much. They said, you know, not, I'll take 100 today and 25 tomorrow, but they said, if you feel you need to go up, talk to us, but, you know, that's as long as it's within that, that limit. Yeah. And here's some CBT. Here's some cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, for some people... And there is, you know, evidence-based that it worked, and that's why I think it's been pushed so so strongly. But you've—I didn't know this about you, but it's and there's, you know, but it's a hundred percent in our poll of two. <laughs> that, <laughs> that the thing that the thing that helped both of us was a talking. Therapy. Yeah, absolutely. And too too often, medication is prescribed on its own, mm. and I think that is, to me, and I'm not a doctor, but to me, that's the dangerous thing. Yeah is that it doesn't actually help you to make sense of make sense of anything. No, because it doesn't... Ch- and I remember thinking with medication, you know, I, like if you've got a, a headache and you take a, a paracetamol, you know, you and your headache goes away, uh, I don't know why that makes more sense to me than... Uh, I, I guess it's just social conditioning, but I remember thinking, what, I'm going to take this little white pill and that's going to make me stop thinking yeah. these horrible thoughts about myself. Absolutely and not. I was thinking, <laughs> no, that's not going to... I don't, I don't get that. And they, like I said, so it was only then that I understood, oh no, what it's doing is it's making it less painful, you know, in terms of it's dulling down. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, what about all the shitty thoughts then? What about all these <laughs> issues that, you know, and that was what I really needed help with. Yeah. And I came to the conclusion relatively quickly that what was going to benefit me was talking to somebody. Yeah. Um. And, you know, from memory, now it's just a kind of blur of, I don't remember specific conversations, but I'm pretty sure a lot of what she did was reflect back what I'd said to her. You know, she yeah. didn't say to me, oh, right, I've listened to what you said, Chris, what you want to do is this. Yeah, they don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you know. They don't give you a life plan. <laughs> no. So, you know, you they, 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 they help you come to the decisions yourself and make the you know and and realize things yourself and that's a really powerful thing as well because you're then impa- you're empowered because you have come up with the action mm-hmm. plan if you like yeah. or 
way it's, to attack it. I mean, it's quite a powerful thing, really, that a lot of what people need is actually just to talk to someone. Mm. And that a lot of people probably feel like there is no one they can talk to. Yeah. So we have to provide a, a service for that. And I think that that is a symptom of the very atomized society that we live in, where everyone lives very individual lives. Yeah. Um, and you often feel, I mean, I often feel like life is a bit of a, a competition in crude terms. And sometimes you actually just need to feel like you're part of a, a team, almost. Yeah, I know, I, I, I agree with that. And I, and I think that when I was writing notes for this, I put, I, I wrote down, so what would be a more appropriate approach? And that I was just thinking, you know, just in my own thoughts, thinking what it would be. The first thing went to, because it's uh, a popular um, way of thinking and therefore probably something that, that, is, that is helpful, I went to the kind of five ways to well-being. Um, have you heard about the five ways of well-being? I haven't. So there's the connect, be active, take notice, keep learning and give. Now, I kind of have my own take on these, but my what I'd written down was like, as I mentioned earlier, prescribe exercise. And then one of the things I've thought was mentoring. You know, like I, I having that relationship with someone that you can just talk to, mm-hmm. that has the ability to reflect back to you, can be a really powerful thing. Yeah. And it's almost like having a counsellor, but... And this is a really, really... I want to be very clear about this. I'm not talking about people who are in crisis. I'm not talking about people who are really considering ending their lives. Yeah. I'm talking about people who are struggling with anxiety around things uh, and are kind of... or are edging towards depression. Having someone that they can go and talk to, I think, is a really powerful thing. Yeah. Um, so, so that, you know, that's the kind of connectivity... And then one of the other thing was keep learning. Apparently, that's a really big thing. Is if you keep um, educating yourself and then and helping others. Yeah. Um, definitely the last one. Yeah. So you help others. <laughs> I definitely try. <laughs> but it it does it does give you that sense of achievement. It gives you a sense of satisfaction. It gives you a sense of purpose. Really, yeah. I think is is a lot of what depression is about. Is giving you a sense of purpose in life and a bit of direction. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes that is what a lot of people are, I don't want to say lacking. Craving. That, yeah, it gives a kind of Purpose is a huge sense, one. But yeah. Purpose is a huge one. I, I, you know, I quite often come back to this thought process when I think about purpose, is that apparently, I'm sure this is true, that people who are, I, need, I did the thing with my hands again, didn't talk about religion, and I've gone to <laughs> prayer position. Um, that apparently people who follow a faith are less likely to be yeah. depressed because they do feel like they're here for a reason. And, and knowing people who struggle with depression, that's the thing. That's the thing they come back to. And that was the thing I came back yeah. to when I was struggling with depression was, what's the point in this? Yeah. What am I doing this for? Well, a lot of people who have a faith and who engage in prayer and things like that, a lot of what prayer is about is pretty much exactly the same as when your therapist for example might say I want you to make a, like a gratefulness yeah. diary or yeah. a kind of journal of the things that that make you happy yeah a lot of religion is about that because it's a time to re- like prayer is a time when people reflect 
and yeah. it's a time when people have thanks for what for what they've got in their lives. Yeah. And too often, particularly in the kind of societies, Western societies, we we engage in way too much upward social comparison, mm. and that is really negative because you're you're constantly being reminded, and advertising as well really insidiously constantly reminds you of everything you don't have. Well, we're going to talk about this next week on the podcast, <laughs> aren't we? Um, so don't give away too much. But that, but I agree completely. Um, so you, so when you're in that, so tell me a bit more about that. So when you're in that prayer state, you're, it's, yeah, there are, yeah, you're right. There are those similarities to um, having that. What I'm uh, gratitude's the word I'm searching for. That's you know, the word I was looking for. Um, <laughs> yeah, gratitude's a huge thing. I remember hearing about this the first time I heard about it. I was like, "What are they talking about? Gratitude? How's that going to change anything?" But actually, it really does help. And you know, having spending a few minutes a day thinking about things you're grateful for, you know, however small or big they are, actually improves your mood. Yeah. So, and everyone has something they're grateful for. You know, I would, I would, I would suggest. Um, so, yeah, so I think we're coming to the end of this, of the show, but I think essentially what we're, what we're trying to say here is, you know, I, I'm certainly trying to say, I'm not saying don't be giving out medication, you know, I think it does have its place, but I think it's a really, it's very difficult when people are struggling with anxiety and depression, which is what I'm the, you know, is the only area of mental health that I'm a kind of lived experience expert. Um, it's very difficult when you're in that, place to think clearly and to kind of you know I am it's a lot easier for me now I feel to look at this objectively than yeah. when I was in it but if you are listening to this and you are in it you know see if you can have a go at rather than um, doing whatever your plan was for this evening go for a 20 minute walk first you know before you Netflix um, <laughs> or you know before you reach for the toffee, toffee crisps um, <laughs> like <laughs> like or, or phone phone a friend, have a conversation with somebody, you know, try to connect with someone, see if there is something you can do that helps other people. Um, because these things are kind of proven to make people feel better. Yeah. So, you know, kind of if you like, take my word for it. Go and have <laughs> it, go and give it a go. Because if you're doing the things that are putting you on a downward spiral and thinking, Okay, we're just gonna reach for that beer again this evening, then you if you you know you're not going to change anything if you don't change your behaviour. No. Anything you wanted to add? I think the main takeaway message that's kind of just popped into my head there is it's it's not your fault. <laughs> it's true. It, yeah, and I think that is a lot of what mental health is. It's something that is placed upon you as a burden. Yeah. Um, but actually, it's just your experience of the world. Yeah. And it's about stepping back from that sometimes. And contextualizing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a good point. Take a, Try and see if you can take a step back and have a look at it in a different way. Well, look, thank you so much for coming in, Chester. It's been, been really great talking to you. Pleasure to be here. Um, thank you guys out there for listening. Uh, as always, follow me on Twitter at mentalcoms, M-E-N-T-A-L-C-O-N-V-S, and another episode of Mental Conversations will be winging its way to you soon. Thanks, Chester. <laughs>